and welcome to today's Build That Better conversation, where we're talking about green infrastructure. I'm delighted to introduce our guests, Fran Rolf, Sustainable Places Officer for Natural Resources Wales, Carwin Davis, Director of Hayser Developments, Kate McCabe, Community Development Facilitator for Pobble Group, Andrew Collins, Regeneration and Economic Development Officer for Neesport Talbot County Borough Council. I'm Zoe Antrobus, and over to our host, Dawn Lyle. Thanks, Zoe. I'm looking forward to a good conversation today about green infrastructure. Everything we talk about at For the Region is about how we build back better post-COVID and into the next few months and years. Um, a big part of that is the major developments that are going on across our region, how we make sure they really are building for the future, uh, the kind of communities and developments that we want to see across our region. And green infrastructure is a huge part of that. Fran, you are a real influencer in this space. What are we talking about when we say green infrastructure? What does it even mean? So green infrastructure, I mean, it's a, a lovely, nice bit of jargon, isn't it? But it's really the, the term used to describe the natural features, when we, particularly when we're talking about it in an urban context, so in our towns and cities, all of the, the natural things. But it, the, the infrastructure part of it is really taking that one step further um, from just thinking about greening and, you know, nice things that are green, but thinking about its functionality. So, you know, what does it do? Why is it there? Is it doing the right kind of job for us? You know, we understand the highway takes a car from A to B. Are we making sure our street trees are good for our well-being, are good for managing our water quality, quantity, uh, and providing space for biodiversity? And this is, you know, obviously really important, not just because of climate change, but particularly because of the, you know, the ecological emergency that we also face. You know, the ecosystem services, which is another nice little bit of jargon, but it's about thinking about making sure that our greening is doing a job. The possibility with green infrastructure then is to solve a whole number of challenges and problems on new developments and you mentioned well-being yeah. there um, I know you've done lots of work with Swansea Council looking at the city centre I mean what is your primary call to action what would you love to see I suppose you know we've got these sort of guiding principles where we want to make sure that we're working with nature not against it that it's smart it's sustainable and these are all kind of you know buzzwords what does that mean but it's making sure it's the right tree in the right place for the right reasons and that's you know phenomenally important uh, the multifunctional approach, I, I bang on about multifunctionality all the time. And, and I guess if people could take one message from me, it's when you look at something green, ask the question, what does it do? You know, and if we can't answer that, then I don't think we've really thought about it in, you know, the, the right strategic sense, making sure that we've got the right greening in the right places. But it's not just more greening, it's clever greening. I'd, I'd love you to make that practical. What's an example of you know, someone just doing green infrastructure just for the sake of it, that's not multi-solving. And what's an example then of how you might think about that differently? The typical kind of verge planting that we see, which is often you might get a bit of mode immunity grassland or, you know, someone might have stuck in a few tokenistic trees, but they've not really thought about what those trees do uh, or if they're the right tree in the right place. So we often find there are loads of tree examples where trees have been, the inappropriate tree have been put in the, you know, the inappropriate place. And it's often used, to drive the conversation of, well, we shouldn't put trees in our urban landscape because they cause us problems. Well, they do if we don't put them in in the right way. And that, I think, is, is fundamental to us changing the conversation, is understanding what, you know, what are the constraints and what are we trying to achieve? So thinking about what we're trying to get that tree to do before we pick a tree. You know, no, I mean, we wouldn't have London plane trees in, you know, probably lots of the places that we have them causing some of the issues that we find. We might have different trees. Uh, but it's thinking about, you know, what, what does it what does it do? And having that as the, the beginning question before we start the design process, 
and then we wouldn't have immunity grassland kind of everywhere, uh, which is expensive to mow. And, it, and it, you know, we often don't let it get to a place where it flowers anyway. So it's not really doing anything from a functionality point. We might as well have just painted the ground green. Although, you know, that might not be very nice. But you know to me, getting more soil, more vegetation, more water into our urban landscape is kind of critical to making sure that this all works together. And I think I'm right in saying that in Wales, there's legislation now around sustainable urban drainage. And so developers are having to think more. Is green infrastructure part of part of that conversation? Wales is, is leading the way when it comes to the legislation around sustainable urban drainage. I mean, leading the way in the world. You know, we're a global leader in terms of the fact that we said, you know, if, you, if you're over 100 square metres, you need to do this. But then translating that into practice, obviously... Although this is not new, this has been around for 30 plus years, it's still very new to people doing it, you know, particularly in our part of the world. And there's lots of lessons that we can learn from, but it's ensuring that the landscape or your development holds water, creates space for biodiversity, so creates space for nature, creates amenities, nice for people. It manages water quality and quantity, and a particular, obviously I'm based in Swansea, but, you know, that's particularly important because all of the stuff that gets washed off our urban landscape when it when it rains, all of that stuff that goes into those drains gets washed into our rivers, washed into our bathing water, our beaches, and comes back to greet us in the sea when it comes upon a high tide. So it's really understanding that if we create a sponge, we turn our city into a sponge, you know, holding water, using nature, uh, working with nature, not against it. Again, you know, it's just all those opportunities that come you can get so it's a win-win you can get so many things when you use green infrastructure uh, as a way of managing water quality water quantity and create biodiversity space and amenity so it does a lot more than a than a than a highway slot drain yeah great okay thanks for introducing the topic and giving us um a good context to start from i'd like to bring in carwin um carwin is from hasa which is a fantastic regional developer working on a really exciting project in Swansea city centre which is a biophilic building. Carwin thanks for joining us. What does biophilia mean? Tell us about your upcoming development and what does green infrastructure mean to you? Phrase biophilia was coined I believe by Edward Wilson in the 50s or 60s or somebody may correct me on the date timeline and it's basically about living closer and and, and an appreciation of nature okay and I think when we first sort of approach regeneration I suppose this sort of concept evolved through looking initially at how we we would be part of the regeneration of the centre of Swansea and we worked with we fortunate enough we had good connections with Swansea University and, and some really good brains in that field so so we began to explore how do we regenerate our town how do we meet the climate change issues that are so significant these days and whenever I sort of speak about it I, the first sort of I, the idea was to create community so so that's how we evolved to becoming biophilic because people like nature people like being close to it where do we go if we want to take the dog for a walk we don't go to a multi-story car park we go to the green fields and we walk around woodlands don't we you know so so it's 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 innate in all of us the enjoyment of nature okay so so we very much saw the introduction of this kind of biophilic way of living as very much creating nature creating a purpose creating a reason because people need to you know we talk about loneliness is a big issue in in society and we talk about people not integrating on this this is sadly all too common in built-up urban environments and 
we can create a reason, a reason to share a space or to, to communicate. And, 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 and that reason we feel is, is biophilic is, is that nature aspect that, that can bring people together and, and, and it really does improve well-being. And one of the sort of side kind of research projects we're doing on our project is that looking at the health benefits and hopefully providing a quantum of data which suggests that living in this kind of environment does benefit your health and therefore has 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 impact on, on, on the costs of healthcare and what have you. So it's about creating an environment which, which, which then deals with the carbon absorption, which nature, nature is an incredibly efficient tool that we, we've ignored for the last 50 years. Okay, and it's great to see, we're starting to realize, hang on, she knew what she was doing all along and nature has a lot of the answers. And I hope that, that what, we, what we're proposing and do to start in Swansea will, will be an exemplar and an example of what can be done. So I've heard you talk before about the project and I know you're benefiting from some Welsh government funding to make it yeah. possible because obviously being a, a pioneering kind of exemplar project, there are some extra costs and big investments that need to be made over and above what you might normally do if you were just converting a building into yeah. apartments in the normal yeah. way you know what, what are some of the things that you're having to think about completely differently from other schemes that you've worked on in the past I think it basically to go back to what Fran was saying you know it, it's how we deal with water is a key consideration okay so so we've got in this scheme integrated blue roofs green roofs so what we do is slow the rate of water being dumped into the drainage systems and overloading and what have you okay so I, I, there was a calculation done by Gary Grant the amount of water coming off our building should be very minimal you know we've got plant absorption we've got the greenhouses we've got areas where what is required absorbed to create growth in the plants and what have you. So, so very much it's been designed with minimizing its footprint and impact. There's obviously the benefits then by creating growth, plant growth, and, and that you've got absorption of carbon through that, that process, the release of oxygen. So it's just creating that kind of circular system, which is, is there, it's always been there. And, and, and we're just, just picking it up. To, to go back to your point on, on Welsh governments, the support we've had from them, we wouldn't be able to do this without that, and that does has to be admitted. It's, it is a pilot, it is an exemplar scheme that, that the IHP programme does let us really experiment with, with concepts and ideas, and got to really sort of, you know, congratulate Welsh government, and I hope they continue with the programme for many, many years to come, because if anything's going to set Wales apart, I believe, then, then it's that kind of level of innovation and funding that, that, that we can secure and really push the boundaries constantly. So big thanks. The issue we have obviously is it does cost money. Saving the planet, we may not like to hear it, is going to cost money. And I think we have to realise that the planet has sort of regressed and bring it back. It's going to cost a lot more than it, the, the, the sort of standard, the status quo at present is. So that has to be taken for granted. How we, how we deal with that is the challenge. How do we fund it? How is it driven forward? So there's there's ways of thinking around that as well, which is key. Many challenges, but if we don't start, if we don't give it a go, then then certainly we, we will we won't sort of address this pressing issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point, and a, sort of an exemplar project helps to blaze a trail, and hopefully a lot of learning will come from your project that maybe then becomes more affordable over time for yeah. mainstream developers yeah. to incorporate. And yeah. I'm sure, you know, Fran could probably point to some interventions in terms of green infrastructure on new developments that hopefully aren't, don't cost the earth, but I mean, as you say, it's making an investment. And I, th and I think, you know, it's got to be affordable. And my ambition is that we, we 
through this scheme, we can reduce the capital costs and expenditures and decide this is key, that is key. So we get to a stage where it becomes more viable and accessible and, and because it has to be made financially viable or it won't be driven forward. If we have to have large amounts of government intervention for every scheme, then that's going to slow how we deal with climate change. Okay, so, so I think we've got to be creative in financial models, operational models, and I got some thoughts on possibly how we can look at that and how maybe monetize schemes with financiers and what have you. And these are the kind of ideas. It's not just always about the technology. It's about the financial, the operational as well. Thank you for all your insight on that. I will give a quick plug because we've got another episode of this Build Back Better podcast where we've recorded a, a full conversation about that development in Swansea City Centre, which includes an urban farm and a really a whole new model for how that development's being thought about and, and taken forward. So anyone that's interested to hear more from Carwin about that scheme, please check out our dedicated interview all about that project. But for now, I'd like to move on and talk to Kate McCabe from Pobble. Pobble, as we know, is a registered social landlord building a number of communities right across our region. Kate, what does green infrastructure mean to you and how are Pobble thinking differently about new developments and the integration of, of green spaces? My role within Pobble, so I'm a community development facilitator and a lot of my role is about linking our customers, the people that are living in our communities, the green infrastructure around where they live and building on what both Fran and Carwin have said is, is sort of looking at that sort of having the right things in the right place, but also making sure that the communities are connected to those things as well so that that understanding of the multifunctionality that Fran talked about and the right tree in the right place and involving the community in those discussions. One of the areas that I'm focusing on is a large regeneration project that's been three or four years in the making in Penn Dairy in Swansea. That's involved multiple partners in those conversations looking at a regeneration plan which is a vision for the next 15 years and has included you know, in-depth conversations with the community about what they want to see and how they want to see things proved in their area and looking at how we can connect people to, to those sorts of things. So the importance of nature connectedness within those communities for people to value their green spaces. So we're not just looking at what can we do for nature and improving surface water drainage but also how do we connect the people living in those communities to those green infrastructure spaces and making the most of the green spaces within within Pendary as well so Pendary sits on the the edge of Swansea and has got enormous amounts of green spaces and has been used by the community for different things over the years and there are things that can be done in those areas that would improve the green infrastructure for nature and for the environment but we need to make sure that we're doing that with the community we're not just going in and doing it and then walking away and expecting it all to to be looked after but building on that sort of enthusiasm to improve the environment around where people live for themselves for, for the future and you know for, for their own well-being as well and so does that include things like community growing spaces for local food growing or is it about green walls and green roofs what sort of things are you incorporating in Penzeri? bit of everything dawn really it, it's and we're taking the lead from the community so if we're looking at all the different options that that could could work in that place and and the sort of the things that those those improvements could make in the area 
but making sure that you know if the community are interested in taking those forward so yeah we're looking at how we could potentially develop community growing spaces but making sure that there is a community to take that forward as well we wouldn't want to go in and set up a a community growing space and not have anybody to to look after and maintain it going forward it, lo- looking at lots of different aspects but also looking at how we can plant orchards within the area that can be accessible to the community but also will help with sort of absorbing some water um, increasing pollinators in the area and that sort of thing as well so it's looking at it, that multifunctionality that Fran was talking about me and Fran have had many conversations about this okay and I'm on the same mantra as Fran looking at everything that we do and what does it do and you know how many things can it do so being able to give and being able to give people a menu of of options that will improve the green infrastructure within the area the people that are living there get that choice and they choose what what they want to see there based on the knowledge of what that thing does. Great, thanks Kate. I would be interested to hear from you what you think, you know, what your advice would be to a house builder that's perhaps, you know, not necessarily a social housing developer, but a normal house builder. Are there things that you've learned in your scheme that you think more house builders could incorporate on what we'll just call kind of ordinary developments? Uh, yeah, I think we've we've talked to and looked at sort of rain gardens and green roofs on outbuildings, green walls where where they can be put in using fruit bushes as hedgerows, things that have got lots of you know lots of different benefits to it, and things that you know not just new house builders but everyone can incorporate into their own gardens as well, and not to be scared of it, but also ask for you know there's so much knowledge in Swansea about this stuff that people should be sort of just ask the question, and there's someone out there that would be able to provide that support. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for that. Andrew, I'd like to bring you in. As Regeneration and Economic Development Officer at Neath Patalbert County Borough Council, can you talk to us a bit about this from a local authority perspective? How perhaps your emphasis has shifted towards green infrastructure, whether that's a kind of climate emergency response, and what does it mean for things that the council's building, but also perhaps other developments that are coming through the planning process. What's changing and what are your reflections on some of this? Well, I think just to start off, you know, green infrastructure is a buzzword that, you know, we're all using today, but of course it's, not, it's nothing new. Um, you, you go back to Victorian urban planners and they recognise the importance of green infrastructure then. Uh, you only have to look at places like Victoria Gardens in, in Neath and uh, the Talbot Memorial Park in, in Port Albert where they recognise the you know the requirement for green spaces within the urban environment. And that's something that we, we're going to have to take forward with our town centres uh, in the future because quite honestly we don't really know where our town centres are going to end up after, after the pandemic. Obviously they're going to take a, a massive hit um, and it's important for us therefore as a, as a council to play our part in making sure that there is a as an attractive uh, place for people to visit and to work in and live in in the future going forward. And green infrastructure is going to play a massive part in that. So we've done our bit uh, recently in, in urban projects that we've been involved with in Port Albert, for example, the Vibrant and Vibrant Places programme, which uh, Karen 
and his company played a part in as well. We used we used that money to create green passages between residential areas and the town centres and residential areas and, and places of work, turning brownfield sites into uh, riverside walks. So, you know, we've, we've done our bit in the past uh, with, with, with all but but I, I, th- I, think, I think going forward, it's going to be even more crucial to us the way that we treat our town centres and expect to bring infrastructure. To that end, we've, we've actually commissioned consultants in, in Talbot to take a critical look at our town centres and to give us advice and to recognise potential projects uh, that we can bring forward as part of the Green Infrastructure Programme. We're also doing our bit with regards to current regeneration projects as well. The Plaza Cinema, which you may or may not be familiar with, uh, you certainly would be if you're from Talbot. It's a uh, an iconic Art Deco uh, cinema that was listed, um, but it had been derelict for many, many years. So we acquired it and, and we're turning it into a, a multicultural venue. We're retaining the Art Deco frontage, but we're demolishing the rest of it and rebuilding it. And we're putting a green roof on, on that new build, not only for ecological purposes, but uh, as, as, as alluded to previously by some of the other speakers. It helps us very much with the sustainable urban drainage. It's a massive building on a very constrained site. And so we're putting the, uh, essentially a wild meadow on the roof, which will act as a, an attenuation uh, pond effectively for that for that development. So the programs where, where we're integrating green, green infrastructure, but I, you know, I can't overemphasize how important it's going to be in making our town centers attractive in the future. We've got to look at green walling, as, as been alluded to. But one thing I'd like to progress in in Nikopol, but certainly is is pocket parks, for example. Um, you know, the, you, if you visit London, you see them all, all over the city centre and the the wonderful wonderful little oases and, uh, and 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 places of refuge and peace and quiet. And I think that you know we're going to have to think more cleverly about how we use our urban space. Um, and, and, and I think pocket parks and uh, other green areas are going to be crucial in you know, making our town, town centres more, more peaceful and attractive for people who live there and visit there. And, uh, you know, it's going to have a, a massive positive uh, effect, I think, on mental issues and, and also just, you know, making people happier and, more, you know, in a more pleasant and greener environment. So. It's 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 a it's a time of transition for us really with with urban uh, regeneration and um, you know it's sort of been enforced on us with with the pandemic um, if you like but um, it's something that we can really use to our advantage I think. And are you finding that as uh, projects come through kind of the, the planning process, there's an opportunity to talk to developers or perhaps those in the town centre who are seeking to improve their properties? Um, to encourage new ways of thinking about some of this and make sure that the private sector is is taking these um, lessons on board as well? Um, yes, I, th- I think, you know, future developments are, are going to perhaps play um, a bigger role. I mean, you know, Karen and, and, and Kate will know that, you know, there, ha- there has been a tendency, I think, in, in the past to, especially with urban residential developments, to try and cram as many units in, in as possible. And um, I think as a result, we, you know, we, we, we've been driven uh, down that road through uh, economics. This has been the only way to really provide the residences required. But I, th- I think amenity space has, has sadly been neglected um, in recent years. 
Um, I, I would like to think that, you know, we as a, as a council, as planners, Karen as a developer and Kate as a, an RSL, will sort of step back and think a lot, a lot more cleverly about how we can reduce, reduce the, uh, the quantity that we put in onto our, um, onto our development sites and, um, you know, make them a bit greener, a bit more pleasant for people to live in. Yeah, as you say, that amenity space can solve so many challenges and, and you know, multi-solve for urban drainage as well as well-being. I love what you said there about pocket parks and how bits of previously kind of forgotten or disused bits of green or brownfield space in our town centres and in our communities can potentially be turned into little oases. Have you got advice for people in the community? Perhaps they live next to an area of lands that they think they could make more of i mean what would you suggest is there advice within the local authority or support to do that sort of thing well i think once we've you know we've had this consultant's report back then that will be a catalyst really for us to you know get get the community involved it will it's obviously going to be, involve a, a huge consultation process you know with our residents uh, with, with our partners in, in the town centers uh, including the developers and, and the rsls and you know, we're not going to do this um, uh, unilaterally. Uh, we, we'll obviously involve as many um, as many stakeholders as possible. We, you know, we, we don't have all the all the preferences, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot a lot of people out there in the community do. And so there will obviously be a, a big consultation process going, going forward, um, because you know we're not going to get it right on our own. Can I come in? Is that all right? I was just wondering, do we have the skills and supply chains in our region to be able to uh, fulfil our ambitions for green infrastructure? It's developing, you know, it's it certainly I would say high quality multifunctional green infrastructure industry is is, is in its embryonic stages. Um, there are some people who've been doing green, green roofs for, um, you know, a while. I think we've got one based in the region. So I think it's, it's, it's early days, but it's I certainly conversations I'm having people are you know chomping at the bit to get into it and it's how we ensure that they have that you know the, the quality of skills to make sure that what we're getting is actual green infrastructure and you know is, is the real thing and not green bling I suppose is there probably the, the best way to put it <laughs> yeah and Carwin you mentioned that you were working with the university on your development I wonder if the colleges are engaged in green infrastructure as well yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a big believer in, 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 I think, the future needs to be more localised. I think we need to look at the skills within our region, within the areas that we already live, and to skill up is a part of that training. I mean, uh, we're working, we sort of have an in-house sort of policy almost where if we can't find it local, then we go out to, to the wider field, okay? So we're working with Swansea-based architects, Swansea-based engineers, we're working with Swansea University, we're working with primarily local people and we do have a lot of skill and ability in the region. It sometimes does frustrate me when I think that people need to go outside and, 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 and go to London when, hang on, there are very good and capable people in our region already. Let's skill these people up. Let's make Swansea and South Wales and Wales into this, 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 this country of expertise. There's a lot of expertise there sometimes which we don't realise is on our doorstep and I'll be the first to admit, I've, I've been sort of surprised by the skill set in Swansea University, for example. It's been a complete eye-opener. I've never worked with universities before, and, and they've really opened my eyes to, to this. So, you know, local, local is good. 
Yeah. Um, Andrew, did you want to okay. come in? Yeah, Neath Patolwood College in, in Venice, then they've, they've recognised um, uh, a requirement here and they are launching a number of uh, courses now which are, are focused on um, green construction and uh, engineering. Um, so so they've recognised the need and, and, and they are hopefully going to fill in some of the, uh, some of the gaps there. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure other colleges will, will, will follow suit, but um, you know, Mark and his team do tend to be pretty pioneering, so they, you know, they, they're already off out of the blocks with that one. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Really good to hear. Mm. Yeah, fantastic opportunities for people starting their careers um, in the construction sector to look at some of these uh, new avenues and all these new skills that will be needed. So yeah, that's a really important factor. Um, any final reflections from you, Fran? What would your advice be to anyone? Uh, Kate raised a really important point about how we can all do more of this in our own gardens and in our own communities. Um, final thoughts or advice from you? So there was, a, there was a point I wanted to pick up at one of the things that Carwin mentioned as well around cost, things being expensive up front. And it's a different type of cost when we think about construction because it's a cost we've not thought of before. But actually the long-term costs of not doing it are massive. So green infrastructure when done properly is much cheaper in the long term. So when we look at life cycle costs and we look at all the other stuff, obviously the you know the reasons to do it are massive. But also from a point of you know baby boomers collecting their pensions, pension driven uh, development uh, kind of funding streams, they they need to get a long term rental income from their you know their investments rather than a one off payment. So they see unsustainable development. Um, uh, you know, as a, it, it's not something they want to invest in. So the investment market is changing as well. So there are all sorts of other economic drivers. And then when we talk about, you know, the, the dwell time in our towns and our, our urban centres being so crucial to how we kind of probably get our way out of some of the damages that, you know, the scars that we're going to be left with from COVID. You know, we've got five principles that, you know, anyone who manages, maintains, designs, builds, wants to vegetate uh, and maintain green infrastructure if, if, if you apply these principles then we should see um, that we're enhancing the quality of the green infrastructure in our urban in our urban places particularly and that's making sure it's multifunctional I can't say that word enough uh, adapted for climate change you know this is like this is about adapting and mitigating for climate change and making our spaces better for people and nature uh, making sure it's healthy so we're thinking about you know how people actively travel through it is it good for well-being uh, it's biodiverse obviously I mentioned the uh, ecological emergency that we face and smart and sustainable you know, and, and really, it's quite a simple package. But if your decisions around green infrastructure involve those principles and all of them, uh, if you consider all of them, then we should see the, the quality of green infrastructure, you know, being, you know, we're ensuring its quality. Because um, we know our cities and our urban centres, our towns, even, you know, in villages, it's going to get dry, it's going to get hot. And then we're going to have big, massive amounts of rainfall. We're going to see surface flooding. Um and we know green infrastructure can alleviate for those things. One last thing that I would add is have lots of really good conversations. You know, we want to have a, a, a kind of a, almost a community of practice around this. But as, as Carwin alluded to, there's, well, not alluded to, said it quite clearly, there's, there's a lot of really good skills around our area. Um, having good conversations, asking lots of good questions, learning, understanding where each other's coming from. It's a real opportunity to do something quite spectacular in, uh, in our region. That is a really great 
uh, message to end on, Fran. I think we really all want to see Southwest Wales leading the way in a lot of this stuff. And so anyone listening that wants advice or input or just wants to have a discussion or connect up some new uh, thinking on any of this, get in touch with us at For the Region. We can put you in touch with all of the people that we've spoken to today and many more practitioners and experts across Southwest Wales who are really leading the way on all of this. And let's try and make sure that everything we're building and everything we're doing in our urban environments, but also in our rural areas, is solving for those things, biodiversity, adaptability to climate change, and multifunctionality, that's the word of the day. Thanks all for joining us. I think it's been a really useful conversation. And as you say, we're really keen to develop that community of practice and put green infrastructure on everybody's lips. So uh, really appreciate all of your insight this afternoon and we'll uh, catch up with you all again soon. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this conversation from For the Region, another episode of Build Back Better. Please tune in again next week for another online conversation. Bye for now.